G-Core CDN is a next-generation content delivery network that accelerates your application's static and dynamic content. G-Core CDN has you covered around the globe with more than 150 edge locations and 11,000 peering partners worldwide. And of course, G-Core CDN supports IPv4 and IPv6. Go to gcore.com slash packetpushers to find out more. That's gcore.com slash packetpushers. Welcome to the IPv6 Buzz podcast, where we dare to dive into the 128-bit address space wormhole. Quick reminder, there's sponsorship opportunities available for IPv6 Buzz and all the other Packet Pusher podcast shows. So if you're interested, you can go to packetpushers.net slash sponsorship. You can get all the details. And if you've got something cool working with IPv6, tell us all about it. I'm Ed Horley with my co-host, Tom Coffey and Scott Hogan. Today, we're going to be talking about IPv6 address sort of representation and RFC 5952. Um, so I guess we'll jump in and, and talk about it. I guess we should talk a little bit about RFC 5952 and what it's all about, because uh, I don't think it's widely known right? in terms of <laughs> RFC discussions. I don't think a, a lot of people spend a lot of time talking about this one, but it's actually a, a recommendation about IPv6 address text representation. Go into details about that, but uh, what should we cover you guys in terms of the RFC? Is there specific items that you think are important to mention? Well, I think it's probably useful to talk about why the RFC exists, right? I mean, one of the things that you run into with V6, like right out of the gate, is the fact that it's a longer address, the fact that it has hexadecimal characters and and a different separator in the form of a colon. And uh, if you start poking around and seeing all the places where IPv6 addresses show up, one of the first things you might notice is some variance in terms of how they appear. Probably the classic case of this is uh, Cisco IOS, where in other settings, you'll likely see the the hexadecimal characters, the letter characters be lowercase. And in Cisco IOS, they're brazenly uppercase um, in a way that, you know, the first time you see it, you're kind of like, that's interesting. Why did they choose to make those characters uppercase versus lowercase? And of course, there's a ton of other potential IPv6 format differences that you might see and then really not know why is it represented in this case here. And, and 5952 is, uh, you know, the standard to try to give guidance on what those address formats should look like in, in all settings. Uh, is that a, like a fair assessment of it? Yeah, because the IPv6 addressing architecture RFC 4291 didn't really say anything about preference of uppercase and lowercase. And so that's why 5952 later, a few years later, then kind of had to clarify, well, wait a minute, you know, what should we use and what makes sense? Yeah, this is an ongoing thing because obviously for characters, we have an uppercase and lowercase. We don't really have that for numbers. <laughs> so that side is is really what we're what's getting addressed in, in portions of the RFC. And maybe we can check through some of the major items in, in the RFC itself that sort of describes the, or walks through what they talk about. And I think, you know, some of it really has to do with sort of format of like, they talk about leading zeros. So one of the concepts in IPv6 and, and addresses is right that you can eliminate leading zeros in front of a, a given address as long as it's you know to the far left of that particular sort of configuration, you can eliminate it. So, you know, if you have 0001 at the very end of an address, well, you know, should that be 0001 or should it be 001 or 01 or just one right after the colon in terms of how you should represent the address. I think instinctively all of us know that 
you know, like, hey, well, okay, if you're going to eliminate leading zeros, you would eliminate all of them, right? You wouldn't leave two in there and only remove one of them. So that doesn't make sense. So that that's one of the things that they talk about is sort of like, hey, if you're going to eliminate leading zeros, eliminate all the leading zeros, not just one of them. Yeah. Um, and you get the IETF, you know, you get the RFC language, you know, where you see must, you know, there's should language, you know, the 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 sort of qualification language of like whether or not you sh- you have to do this if you're implementing. And so there's quite a few musts in the 5952. And, you know, that's, as you suggest, that's probably the biggest one. Leading zeros must be suppressed. It's Postel's law, right? It says, be conservative with what you do, be liberal with what you accept. And so when you're creating a protocol or you're taking an input from a user, you might be liberal with what you accept from that user. It might be mixed. It might have camel case, uppercase, (laughs) lowercase, uppercase, lowercase. It might, some hextets may have leading zeros removed, some may be fully expanded, you know, and so when you take input of a user, you know, an error-prone human, if, if you're writing a piece of software, you have to determine is what that input in that text field or that, you know, CLI or command line argument, is that valid? And then when you print an address or something back, you want to be specific with what you send, do that following the rules, which is you know, compressing the address, removing leading zeros, using colon, colon, using lowercase. When you right. send an address, you know, you want to be specific. So that's kind of Postel's law. Yeah. And I think that's for human interaction. I think that's mm-hmm. super important. I think mm-hmm. machine to machine, there's probably a different concept around some of that. And we can we can talk about that here in, in a moment. But it's I, I think there's slightly different requirements if you're in automation or if you're in logging or you know, config management or mm-hmm. things of that nature that you may want to do things a little bit different just to make maybe your life a little easier, maybe the scripting life a little bit easier in terms of how that works. But in terms of representing an address to a human, it, 100% agree that that's exactly if you follow through all these rules, you're going to make your life a little bit better and, oh. and the person's life a little bit better for sure. Yeah. So we talk about what an IPv6 address looks like. Well, it can contain, you know, it's 128 bits. It has these, you know, eight hex tets separated by seven colons in fully expanded format. But with like DNS 6.4 or other types of addresses, you can have a V4 address embedded in the bottom 32 bits. Right. So the first 96 bits is a V6 address, the last 32 bits, and it might be written in a mixed format where you have some of it looks like a v6 address and the bottom part looks like a v4 address and so as you accept that as input it's valid but the last 32 bits is written in quad dotted decimal notation (laughs) just to make your life that much better it's a valid address and you have to parse it in that way right it's an interesting quandary around like this weird mixed use case configuration because the other part to that point scott the other part that we use colons for in, in the ipv4 world right is to distinguish between the v4 address and and the port number right if you're using it in something like a uri or something like that and so you know obviously that's in conflict with v6 because we use that to separate the hex tets. so it's it becomes this formatting like okay do we use square brackets which is a whole thing right for using square brackets to encapsulate or represent where v6 address actually lives versus a port number right and then so you have to be able to take that as valid format too right <laughs> so yeah. the address is represented in a square bracket and then has something after it then that's a port number and you have to be able to sort of extract that if if a port number inclusion is something that's permitted yeah. right that becomes the other challenge of like where do you compare the next topic is you know besides 
leading zeros is also zero compression. I guess we can talk about that real quick. It's like, which side do you zero compress on? If there's an equal number of zeros that are available in the address in two separate locations, right? Do you zero compress more to the left or do you zero compress more to the right? <laughs> if, if it's the same number, uh, they tell you if you have more in one area, you should zero compress in that particular area to shorten it, right? Yeah, maximize the zero compression that you can do. I don't think this really comes up very frequently, right? Nah, it's just an oddball one, but I mean, I guess you have to call it out, right? No, exactly. And 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 I guess that sort of gets into the territory of like, who's this guidance for? Who's it most useful for? And as like Scott was suggesting on the, the, the coding side of things, on the application side where you're receiving IPv6 addresses as input and you're having to format them and then spit them back out. And what what's happening programmatically, of course, this is probably all getting converted to binary by various libraries mm-hmm. and then hashed and then spit back out. And so then when it comes time to sort of re-represent the address to the user, you know, this guidance is is like super critical or <laughs> should be. When I think of zero compression or lighting or using colon colon, I, I think of the TV show Silicon Valley. So I prefer the middle out algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so you have the colon colon closer to the middle. The upper part represents you know, the, the prefix, prefix and the yeah. lower part represents the least significant bits in the interface identifier. And in the middle there, there's probably some zero compression taking place. It's middle out. <laughs> uh, you can watch the, the Silicon Valley show if you want to see a more graphical representation, <laughs> a gestural <laughs> representation of middle out. When I was first learning about IPv6, I got confused. Like, well, there's a way to put a V4 address inside of a v6 address this is really weird and then i got confused between ipv4 mapped addresses and v4 compatible addresses right and v4 compatible addresses stuck the v4 address in the bottom converted it to hex and stuck it in the last two hex tets but then it had a zero there there had been the i guess the sixth hex tet was all zeros and so that was later deprecated in the addressing architecture, RFC. And then there was mapped addresses, where then in the sixth hextet, it was four Fs, four lowercase what, Fs. <laughs> which is and, what's currently yeah. the standard and still and used. So it's, so it's a way to put a V4 address or a V6 address into a 128-bit memory structure. And Tom, like you were saying, I kind of think of IPv6, it's just software. And so it's software that's defining how addresses are accepted as input or printed or outputted or or sent in a log stream or something like that. And so, like you said, Ed, for user input and output, you want to be liberal with what you accept from a user. When it's machine to machine, it's it's software. So you're going to be holding it in a 128-bit data structure somehow. Right. And however that is is represented or, or stored in a database. Yeah, or a log file or text file or whatever you want to do. Yeah. I, I think that's critical. That's a critical part to sort of mention in terms of how that appears and conforming to the structures that are mentioned in this RFC is super helpful in terms of like readability and mm-hmm. other things. But there's also things around like just regular expression matching, like mm-hmm. for syslog and things like that. And I, and, and yeah. so this is where I, I vary a little bit. This is just me. I don't necessarily want to see double colons and zero compression in my addresses when they're represented in a log file, because when I'm actually the operator that's trying to match an address, I'm probably writing regular expressions that are looking for like a full address, right? 128-bit address. Yeah. 
I probably want it fully uncompressed. And the reason why is because it's the only way I can guarantee I get a match, right? Yeah. Because otherwise I have to write a really complex regular expression rule that looks like at every hex that looks at it. Does it have zero compression? Is it part of a zero compression? Do you have to uncompress it to, right, in order to match? Like you have to go through so many iterations of like what you're trying to actually look for. Like if it's just normal, if the data is just normalized in a syslog or a log file or a database, right? I guess it's a little easier in the database because you store it as an actual, you know, binary blob, right? And then just match on the binary blob. But yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, with regular but, expressions, they get really complicated for IPv6 because you're, right. you're kind of looking, you're looking ahead, you're looking behind, you have these look arounds <laughs> where you're searching, like, what is it? And then iteratively kind of parsing the address and then also you're looking for slash notation at the end like does it include the prefix length uh does it include quad dotted decimal at the end and and then you have to search uppercase lowercase because you don't uppercase know lowercase zero through nine lowercase yep. a through f uppercase a through f in the quantity and then look for zero compression within a hextet and then colon yeah. colon and fe80 what kind of an address <laughs> is it is it right ULA DNS64, well-known right. prefix, prefix. FE80, and it's a lot to, to do. And so IPv6 regex is usually quite large compared to a v4 regex, <laughs> but they can be done. One of the things I do is if I want to validate an address is correct, I'll use the built-in functions like in Python instead of trying to you know, build my own regex i'll just read in the address and then use the built-in python function to check if the address is valid or not because it's already been written in a python library to check if, if it's a valid address and so i'll use that built-in function to determine if it's correct or not and then maybe parse it later and the only reason i bring this up around the log file thing is because you don't know how applications or you know network devices are going to write to a log file Mm -hmm. you yeah. don't really get to determine how it displays or puts an address in. And so you might have to build like a, almost like a pre-filter in front of mm -hmm. your log ingestion that just its only function is to look at an address that it's ingesting in and, yeah. and fully uncompress it for you and rewrite it into the log file that way. Or you have to do what you mentioned, Scott, which is do the very extensive work around regex in order to mm -hmm. be able to, to do that. Or you outsource all of this to a, you know, a more sophisticated logging platform, something like Splunk or something else that will. <laughs> but yeah, we can be critical of the outside platforms. They're not doing this particularly well, right? That's what I was going to ask is, have we seen that they're, you know, actually getting the job done in this area? They can like ingest Splunk. addresses well. They they don't have a problem <laughs> ingesting addresses. How's that? Because the license you pay is based on how much data you ingest. And so the more you ingest, the more the company makes. Uh, and so, of course, you wouldn't want to not ingest data. <laughs> so... Uh, specifically, Splunk has problems. If you just went into the search and you were just doing a simple search for an IPv6 address, it may or may not match what you're looking yeah. for if you did colon colon. Uh, within Splunk, there is a CIDR match function that works for v4 or v6. And so you can create a CIDR range and say, show me any entry in the logs that are part of this range, the CIDR notation. And so that helps a little. Right. Narrows it down. And then, mm -hmm. but you still don't get control over how that address is being mm -hmm. written in from the syslog basis into the data structure itself. Right. And so, mm -hmm. this is why it's super critical if you're ingesting data and then it does the right thing from a database perspective and puts it in as a binary blob, you should be able to match on the binary blob. Right. The mm -hmm. actual 
binary bits. So if you're looking for that, then you should have better results than just ones that are doing text representation, grep search sort of work inside of uh, you know text files. Unfortunately, we live our lives in, in text files often, right? and so you're going to have to deal with how that plays out. Now, you can obviously narrow things down by sort of pipelining it. So maybe you're looking for the beginning prefix portions of things. And maybe you sort of build a pipeline that allows you to sort of break your address down over narrow set the look through something get a smaller data set, look through the mm -hmm. next thing, get a smaller data set, look through the next thing, and then maybe display that or pipe it out to a file and, and, and be able to find the thing you're looking for, yeah. um, which can definitely work. You're still going to have complexities around all of that mm -hmm. because you're going to have to accept, like you said, all user input or all device type input that may come in and you don't know how they're representing that address. Mm -hmm. And it may not be human readable in the same way. So a good example of this to me is the, as, as we mentioned before, you may see the lower portion uh, of an address being represented as an IPv4 address, but when it goes through machine converts, right, then it pipes it back out. It doesn't represent it that way. Mm -hmm. It kind of may have to do with the database that you're using, the database that's behind your, your logging platform. Normally, like a fully expanded IPv6 address will be 39 characters. Eight hex tets of four hex digits is 32. And then there'll be seven colons. Seven colons. Represented in fully expanded format. But if we have a, a V6 address that has a V4 piece at the end, it gets more complicated. It's six hex tets, four hex digits each. That's 24. Then you got 12 possible digits of quad dot a decimal. You'll have six colons and then three dots. Three dots. <laughs> uh, so for nine, so nine plus 24 plus 12 is 45. So it could be 45 characters if you're looking at it as a string. Or it could, you could have the brackets, which would be two additional. Yeah. So it depends on the database. Like Postgres will have an IP data type that'll match V4 or V6 or a CIDR. And so Postgres is a pretty nice database to work with with storing v6 addresses if you're doing something like mysql or microsoft sql server oracle then you're having to store it as a string and then you're having to process it with more textual regular expressions and having to treat it as varchar you know instead of just binary data if you treated it as binary data it'd be smaller it's a smaller number of bytes but if your database only would allow a v6 address to be written as varchar, it's going to take 45 characters. So it's a lot more data and a lot more complexity, but it's nice if you have a database like Postgres that has the data type built in. Yeah, that makes sense. That also suggests something else, just that it made me think of the the fact that, you know, if, if you look at the language of 5952 related to the the expression of uh, V4 addresses and, you know, using the last 32 bits, um, you, you can lose that information. I mean, the, the, the RFC says it, decimal notation may be used only for the last 32 bits of the address, mm -hmm. but doesn't really suggest like what's considered mm -hmm. sort of normalized for that. So if, if you took that information of having, you know, the, the V4 address with the dotted decimal notation, and then you converted it to hex to store it, you know, you lose the information that was visually represented and, and there may, mm -hmm. there may not be any way to flag it in the database. There's no mm -hmm. way to really know that that was a V4 address. And so when you extract mm -hmm. that information again, you're, you're, you're looking at something that doesn't tell you that, you know, so mm -hmm. I, I don't, I'm not really sure how that's being handled uh, in various libraries or if it's really come up much at all. I mean, this is something that as we enter into, 
you know, using leveraging DNS 64 and at 64 a lot more in operational environments, maybe this will mm -hmm. come up to the point where there's like sort of better guidance to offer or just more, more data points to like sort of point to, to say, this is how it's being handled. But right now I'm not sure that we have that. Let's pause the conversation for a word from sponsor Gcore CDN. Gcore CDN is a next-gen content delivery network that accelerates your application static and dynamic traffic. It's got a global presence with more than 150 edge locations and 11,000 peering partners worldwide. And its entire infrastructure supports IPv6. Gcore can compress, resize, and convert images into AVIG or WebP on the fly. With dynamic content acceleration, websites are smoother and more responsive. Gcore CDN can protect your servers from overloads, be they unexpected traffic spikes or a DDoS attack. Your operations team will appreciate Gcore's extended API and its support for Terraform and Grafana, and your business team will appreciate the generous free plan, which includes one terabyte of monthly traffic and most key CDN features. Find out what Gcore CDN can do for your online presence at gcore.com slash packetpushers. That's gcore.com slash packetpushers. And now back to the conversation. When I'm teaching a class and we get to the DNS 64 NAT 64 session, I'll do a ping six to 64 colon FF9B, the DNS 64 well-known well prefix, colon, and I'll, you know, 64 colon FF9B colon colon 192.168.1.1. And it works and it blows people's minds. They're like, how did you do that? You pinged an ad, <laughs> you did a ping six. You're a wizard. You did a ping six to an address that was half V6, half V4, and it worked. Whoa. You know, but the ping six program takes it as input. It's liberal with what it accepts. It accepts that and then it converts it. And then when you see the ping go out, You'll see it go to, you know, 64FF9B colon colon C0AA colon 0101. <laughs> and you'll be like, oh, it did. It took it. It converted it to hex and stuck it into the last 32 bits of the V6 address. And it worked, you know, inside a URI. You could put that in square brackets, that same 64FF9B colon colon 192.168.1.1. And it'll work. The, you know, Firefox or Chrome will take that as input and then convert it. This is what you get when you get this weird hybrid. We're in the stage of converting from, you know, V6 resources needing to talk to, you know, V4 resources, but we don't have dual stack, right? And we don't have the, yeah. those sets of capabilities. So we're doing address representation in strings, but that doesn't mean that that's actually what the machine's doing. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, yeah. mm -hmm. that's, that's for all of us humans to be able to sort of get a, a clue or an understanding about what's being represented uh, in, in the address for convenience of us sort of understanding either what the logical protocol is or what the uh, representation is for readability and understanding. You can't stick a, and, and it's a good example of this because we're so used to maybe exchanging a namespace with, with addresses if you're in, you know, sophisticated enough to sort of know the difference between the two, right? In terms of DNS namespace, you can't stick a name, right? At the end of, you can't do a colon and then be like, you know, Cisco.com or something like that that represents a V4 address. That won't work. Mm -hmm. Just to be clear for everyone, that's not something that's real. So you can't like mix those together, mm -hmm. which would be really weird, even though that may resolve to a, a V4 address. It's, it's not something you can represent that way. It's not an additional thing, even though we have, you know, letters in V6. We can only go, you know, A through F. <laughs> Nothing else. Can't do a capital zero. <laughs> <laughs> I think that sort of helps to break down, at least for hopefully for the users, um, uh, some of the issues that go on with it. I think the only thing that we haven't touched on maybe is 
is how machine to machine might do this a little different, which is more fits in maybe mm-hmm. like the automation category or, mm-hmm. or the scripting category, which I think I definitely would not do zero compression or do um, any sort of leading zero representation, at least in my code. I don't think that would be very wise just introduces uh, way more complexity in terms of what you're up to in terms of building any sort of automated addresses. And I would definitely, like you suggested, Scott, use the Python library to be able to sort of normalize out everything that you're up to. Or keep it binary data. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But, you know, just to talk through that quickly, I think uncompressed addresses, because in scripts, you're really just, you're not having to touch the address all that often. You're representing it as a as a variable or you're representing it as a binary blob or whatever that you're actually manipulating it with in terms of libraries. It's, it's usually not a big issue, but I would have a tendency to lean towards like, even if you do have to represent something within a script that you would do an uncompressed address to make sure that you sort of have everything in there in the right order and that it's easy for someone else to, to read and check. But I don't know, what are, what are you guys' thoughts around that? In memory, you're going to have to allocate the full memory size to hold the address in its binary form or character form. Right. So there's no savings. On disk, <laughs> there is a disk savings if you store it as binary versus right. text. Versus text string, yes, for sure. I've noticed in network gear that it has a tendency to... It will take your input for whatever, like Scott said, it's liberal on the input side of of whatever you would take to configure the device, but it has a tendency to sort of fully expand stuff to a degree for representing what you're seeing from a config basis for the device set itself, right? For those that are still using CLI on a particular device, right, that's taking output or you're doing display for a particular interface or things of that nature. But that's, I have to say, that's not consistent. (laughs) It's not the same everywhere, but I have a tendency to notice it looks like they do more uncompressed addresses just to sort of show you. And then they're using the CIDR notation for pretty much representing everything for the prefix, right? So you have an idea and and that's important for like things like operating systems, because you can quickly tell you know, for things like a host OS, whether it's got a Slack or a DHCP address, the DHCP address almost universally shows up as a slash 128, right? Mm-hmm. I think, Scott, you noticed that too, right? Yeah. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a specific address, so it's it doesn't have a like a slash 64 that's associated with it. So sometimes that looks a little weird because you got a global mm-hmm. unicast address with a slash 128. Mm-hmm. It's assigned to the host, but it's really part of a slash 64 that's set up for that particular, you know, land segment because you're still sticking to the 64 boundary for all of that. But you've just been assigned a specific 128 address, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But your link local is scoped at as, as a 64, even though that comes from a slash 10 range, right? Mm-hmm. So there, there's all these weird use cases that you're going to see that are going to be differences. You might head scratch and be like, I don't understand why I got a 128 global unicast address on my host and it's because you got it via tgpv6 not not via slack right um yeah or you didn't build yourself a temporary address in the same way right so, you notice that when you look at your host's v6 routing table you'll right. see oh wait a minute these are different prefixes oh i got a lot of different little v6 routes here compared to my v4 routing table which is just as like my address for the host and you know a, a v4 you know gateway default gateway 0.0.0.0 slash zero you'll just have two or or a few where v6 you'll have a lot because you've got different ones for link local and link loopbacks and (laughs) yeah and you might see a a whole handful if you're displaying all your solicited node multicast addresses too you'll see all of those yeah displayed yeah the router advertisement will have the l flag set to one so you install local prefix Mm -hmm. slash 64 locally yeah 
So it just depends on on what those router advertisement configurations are, plus what your local host is doing, plus how many networks you actually belong to or participate in, right? So if you yeah. have a wired mm-hmm. and a wireless interface, mm-hmm. you might you might see even duplicates across those if they actually do the weird thing of bridging your wired and your wireless onto the same network segment, right? So you're going to see <laughs> multiples <laughs> for each one of those, and then you have to look at your preference for your interfaces about which one's preferred over the other. So yeah, it gets a lot more complex. Uh, in terms of what what you might be dealing with, but uh, all I could say is the the RFC is worth. It's actually a very short RFC. Uh, I actually encourage folks to read it because it's actually a very fast read and it's pretty well laid out and it explains a lot of stuff and makes it pretty easy. You're going to notice a lot of manufacturers don't necessarily know about this RFC, <laughs> so you might see some variances in terms of them conforming to it. It's worth just giving them a quick little quip that says like, "Hey, you guys, there is this RFC out there. You might want to uh, refactor your code and and go." try and be conformant with it to, to make things a little bit better for all of us. That's right. And in the domain of, of pure aesthetics, which we don't get to delve into on the technology side very often, I, you know, I have to say like when I see uppercase hex letters in a V6 address, it's like visual nails on a chalkboard. (laughs) (laughs) It's like apologies to Cisco, but it's like, come on, can we, can we at least normalize this? Can we at least uh, standard standardize this? We're all guilty of this because we all wrote books and we all (laughs) dealt with like, should this be uppercase or lowercase? And, and, uh, and this RFC came out in, in 2010 uh, I think Scott, your book came out prior to 2010. You're off the hook. You don't have to worry <laughs> about it. <laughs> uh, but it's a Cisco press book, so I probably had a bunch of capital letters. <laughs> yeah, you had to for it to to be accurate. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I, I don't. I don't think I have any uppercase in mine. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I if I made that mistake in my book or not. I know I made that this mistake in my Pluralsight course. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to go back and fix some of that. Uh, and I imagine some of it, sometimes it's just easier to display when you're trying to you know, catch people's eye for a match for like using a capital of like, you know, FF versus like lowercase FF. So like, hey, this is multicast, pay attention. But uh, yeah, technically it doesn't meet the RFC standard. Yeah, because sometimes I'll, I'll violate that rules because I'm calling something out and I want to mm-hmm. draw attention to it. So I'll capitalize yes. it to make it stand out like, why are you shouting at me? <laughs> but I'm like, oh no, pay attention to this little thing, this FFFE here, you know, yes. in the interface identifier. Or something. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And I've gotten to the point now where I've sort of just like bold things and make them like mm-hmm. three font sizes bigger than everything else or something <laughs> else to make it stand out in a way that, that catches our eye and still try and be compliant with the text representation. But just, uh, you know, be aware. I think the biggest thing for everyone is really that, you know, regular expression and pattern matching. If you're thinking you're matching everything and finding what you think you're finding, you may not be. And and just, you know, word of the wise, a little bit of caution. And you're not going to see all the network device vendors and and security vendors and, you know, even OS vendors all writing the address necessarily conformant to this RFC. And so you need to take into account that they may be doing some sort of weird camel case. The first portion of the prefix may be all correct, but the lower portion was code written by someone else and it's all in uppercase. <laughs> like, you don't, you just don't know. So just be aware, buyer beware around that one and that the text representation could be a little bit more complex than you think. And that you're, you know, when you're trying to match things or trying to find that problem device in your log file, you're like, I'm not seeing it. I don't know where it is. And then you might just need to expand your regular expressions or, or you know, try and figure out how it's actually writing the log file and how it's representing its address first to really sort of understand that you're matching the right thing in, in the log file itself. That's my small bit of advice of having to live through that pain. It is real. It's something that that you're going to run into. So I think it's important. 
Well, unlike V6, we run out of space for the podcast. You can reach the IPv6 Buzz podcast on Twitter or X or whatever they call it these days at IPv6 Buzz. And you can also hit up each one of us uh, on Twitter uh, at IPv6 Tom, at Scott Hogan, at E. Horley. And because Twitter seems to be weird and challenges, we really recommend you just head over to packetpushers.net slash FU to send follow-up questions or any comments about the show. Really appreciate that. Thanks for listening to the IPv6 Buzz. You can find us on the Packet Pushers or any of your favorite podcast apps. Just search for IPv6 Buzz. And if you like the show, please give us a rating on iTunes. If you like the podcast, we recommend you check out Heavy Networking, Day 2 Cloud, and the Network Break Podcast, plus all the other great technical content over at PacketPushers.net. So long and until next time, we'll see you on the internet, the IPv6 internet, that is. Thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz, a podcast devoted to truth, justice, and 128 bits of address space. IPv6.